Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, in the beginning, finding Jesus in Genesis. You know, in the Old Testament, there are four enormous characters who tower above all the rest. The Bible gives us a detailed biography of these four giants. Their individual stories help move the big story of the Bible forward. In fact, you can't tell the big story of the Bible without telling the story of these four Old Testament figures who are so significant that they are mentioned nearly 200 times in the New Testament. Four figures from the Old Testament that are so important that they're mentioned almost 200 times in the New Testament. Who are they? They are Abraham... Moses, David, and Elijah. That's the order they appear in the story of the Old Testament. First Abraham, then later Moses, then King David, then the prophet Elijah. But we group them differently. Let's group them uh, Abraham, right, and David. Why do we put them together? Because, Because they're the friends of God with whom God made eternal covenants. God made a covenant with Abraham, an eternal covenant. Made a covenant with David, an eternal covenant. These are the friends of God, Abraham and David. Moses and Elijah, they go together. Why? Because, well, they're they're the law and the prophets. Historical figures, but also archetypal figures. They are representative figures. Uh, Moses, the lawgiver. Elijah, the quintessential prophet. So those are the big four. Abraham and David, Moses and Elijah. And in our journey through Genesis in search of Jesus, today we come to Abraham. Abraham. I mean, a colossal figure. I mean, you can't overemphasize the significance of Abraham. Abraham is such an important figure in both testaments of the Bible that I could easily preach seven sermons on finding Jesus in the story of Abraham alone. Uh, But since I'm not going to do that, let me begin by giving a brief summary of Abraham's life. I have to leave out a lot, but I want to hit some of the more important things. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, you know, his name was Abram before being changed to Abraham. So sometimes you see it as Abram, sometimes Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham. He was born in Ur of the Chaldees. 
And that may sound like an obscure place. Today it's only ruins. But 4,000 years ago, and this would be the time of Abraham, 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Christ, Ur was perhaps the most advanced and sophisticated city in the world. I've seen some of the art from that time period, from 4000 BC, taken from Ur in the British Museum. And you just look at that and you go, yeah, these people were advanced, cultured, sophisticated. They had a sewer system, running water, 4000 BC. Abraham's father, there in Ur of the Chaldees. By the way, this later becomes the land of Babylon. I think that's significant. It's prior to Babylon, but it's, it's where Babylon then will arise. Abraham's father is Terah. Terah has three sons. Abraham, Nahor, Haran. Jewish tradition tells us that Terah, father of Abraham, was an idol maker. The Bible certainly does, the Bible itself tells us this in Joshua 24 2. Terah and his sons, Abraham, Nahor, Haran, worshiped other gods. So Abraham is an idol worshiper like everybody else in the world, because that's what he knows. And he's there in Ur of the Chaldees, and he worships the gods and goddesses of the Chaldees. But Abraham is destined to become the father of a new faith. He is going to discover the living God. He is going to become the father of monotheism, the worship of one God. It begins with the call. Somehow, the living God calls unto Abraham and Ur the Chaldees and he calls him to leave and to go forth on a journey to find something new and it's unknown. The voice calls Abraham to leave what he has known. His security, his city, his family, his kindred and venture forth into what? The plan isn't given. Just start, Abraham, and I'll show you. What do you call that? That's called faith. That's why Abraham is presented to us in the Bible as the father of faith. Because he ventures into the unknown at the behest of a voice that is now new to him, but he believes this voice, and so he goes forth. That's the call. He goes forth to a land that he is to receive as an inheritance, but it's unknown, and he does it by faith. By faith, And the promise that goes with it, there's a call and there's a promise. The promise is, I will bless you. I will make you a blessing. In fact, I will bless all the families of the earth through you. So the call, go to someplace new that's unknown. You have to start going even to find it. I'm not going to tell you about it until you get there. The call, go to someplace new. The promise, I'll bless you. I'll make you a blessing. I'll bless all of the families of the earth through you. And so Abraham's mission was to become two things, a pilgrim and a patriarch. 
pilgrim on a journey of faith and a patriarch because he's going to father a new family, a family of faith. All right, so he begins as a pilgrim. He's got to find his way to this promised land. And he leaves, he leaves Ur, goes up to Haran for a while, and then finally makes it all the way over into the land of Canaan. And the, his first steps into the land of Canaan would have been when he came in from the north there at the city of Dan. Remember that, Perry? The Bible talks about from Dan to Beersheba. That's the land of Israel. That's from the north to the south. Dan to Beersheba. So, and he comes from the north. So the first time that, that Abraham enters the gate of Dan, he's taking his first steps on the promised land. First time we went to Israel, way back when in 1996, that was a very meaningful moment for Perry. And we were, we were really walking by faith at that time. And, you know, walking by faith is fun to talk about after you've done it. While you're doing it, it can be scary. And we were in that time of really walking by faith. And uh, Perry had a very meaningful experience. There she is. That's, that's not 1996. That's 10 years later. That's 2006 because we've gone back there. But uh, Perry likes that place because she looks at those stones and she says, Abraham walked on those. And he walked there by faith. And if Abraham can walk by faith, I can walk by faith too. Amen. Amen. But the greater challenge for Abraham and his wife Sarah, uh, the pilgrim challenge is, is, is enough, but the greater challenge was to have a family by faith. By faith. Because it wasn't, you know, Sarah was barren and there were no children forthcoming and yet the whole promise hinged upon a family and so how are they going to become a family by faith in Genesis twenty two eighteen, 18 God says this to Abraham in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed a re reiteration of that first promise that in your seed in your lineage in your in, your, in that which proceeds from you in your family, I will bless all the nations of the earth. And so finally, when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, Isaac, Isaac means laughter, Yitzhak, laughter. Because when God told Sarah, you're going to have a baby, she said, yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> and then when God said, why did you? I didn't laugh, I didn't laugh. Yes, you laughed. All right, just call the baby. Laughter. Yitzhak. And when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, they had a baby boy. Called him Laughter. He was the child of promise. And Isaac, Yitzhak, Laughter, becomes the father of Jacob, who later will have his name changed to Israel. And Jacob then becomes the father of 12 sons who become the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you see it. it starts with Abraham and Sarah, and then it begins to spread, and finally you end up with the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the Jewish family of faith destined to bless all the nations that comes from the seed of Abraham. And yet, we'll say it this way. The Abrahamic blessing that blesses the whole world is finally realized in Jesus Christ, because we're finding Jesus in Genesis. Thus, Abraham appears in the first verse 
of the New Testament. Here's how the New Testament begins. Matthew 1.1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The story that leads to Jesus being born in Bethlehem and all of the salvation that comes from that really begins with Abraham. But the Apostle Paul takes it further. Not just, okay, Jesus comes from the Jewish line and the Jewish line begins with Abraham. The Apostle Paul takes it farther than that. And this is a great example of how the Apostles read the Old Testament. For the Apostle Paul, Jesus is not just of the seed of Abraham. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. I'll say that again. For the Apostle Paul, Jesus is not just of the seed of Abraham. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Thus, Jesus is Israel in person. He says it like this in Galatians 3.16. The promises were made to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but it says, and to your seed. That is, to one person who is Christ. All the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Don't you hear that? All of the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Or we could say it this way, Jesus is how God keeps his promise to Abraham to bless all the nations. This is the original promise. Abraham, come on, follow me. Where are we going? I'm not telling you. You have to do it by faith. Follow me, but here's the promise. If you do, I will bless you. I'll make you a blessing. And through your seed, I'll bless you. All of the world. And Paul says, and I know who that seed is. That seed is Jesus Christ. We're finding Jesus in Genesis. And we Gentiles, because I think I'm looking around and look like there's a whole bunch of Gentiles here today. We Gentiles are now made partakers of Abraham's seed through Jesus Christ. All right, let's look at another episode. Now, there's, we're just, I'm just picking a couple, two or three episodes from the life of Abraham where we find Jesus. But there's so many. But here's another one. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Kedor Laomer. Worked on that all week. Kedor Laomer. But let's just say it like, because look at it. Let's just call him Cheddar, King Cheddar. After his return from the defeat of King Cheddar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram in the valley of Sheba. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, maker of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered all your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tithe of all. Well, that's only four verses in there. (laughs) There is so much there. So here's the story. Abraham's nephew, Lot, was always getting in a mess. And he'd gone and gotten himself kidnapped (laughs) by King Cheddar. (laughs) And he was carried all the way up to Dan. By this time, Abraham's living in Hebron, way down south. And Abraham says, well, I guess I'm going to have to go rescue him. And so he went up and he rescued his nephew, and now they're coming back. 
to Hebron. They've been way up and down, now they're heading south. And they come to this place that's the Valley of Sheba. It also says it's the King's Valley. In the New Testament, it'll be called the Kidron Valley. Or even in the Old Testament, time of David, it'll be called Kidron Valley. And then the New Testament, Kidron Valley. I don't know if you know where that is. If you're, if you're heading south on the Kidron Valley, on your right is uh, Jerusalem. It's right there. On your left is the Mount of Olives. That Sheva Valley, that King's Valley, that Kidron Valley is the valley between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And while he's going through that valley, the king of the, of the city up here, Salem, later known as Jerusalem, Salem City, first mention of Jerusalem in the Bible, first appearance of Jerusalem. That's, you know, Jerusalem's like kind of important in the Bible story. This is the first mention. And coming down from Salem is this king who's also a priest. He's, he's a king and a priest. He's two things. He's a king and he's a priest. He's the king of Salem and he's also a priest of the Most High God. And he comes to Abraham and he offers Abraham, he offers Abraham uh, bread and wine. This is, this is getting me. This mysterious man offers Abraham on the slopes beneath Jerusalem and Mount of Oz, offers Abraham bread and wine. And then he blesses Abraham because he's greater than Abraham. Wait a minute. Abraham, Abraham is blessed of Most High God. Abraham is the one who will bring blessing to the whole world. Abraham is blessed, blessed, blessed. And Melchizedek is greater than he is. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And Abraham responds by, oh, hold on, I need, I need a tenth of all I got. Get that up. And he gives a tenth of all of his wealth to Melchizedek. This is, this is the beginning of tithing. This is where tithing begins. Where, where, does, where does tithing start? When Abraham met Melchizedek in the Kidron Valley, he said, and he was blessed and he was given bread and wine. He said, hold on, I'm going to give you something. I'll give you a tenth of everything. Now later, this practice of, of, of giving 10% is then found into the law of Moses and it's, the, and it's in the prophets and the practice of Israel and, and Jesus does this and then the church does this and it's done for a long time and then my great great aunt learns about tithing and then she teaches my grandfather and my grandfather taught my dad and my dad taught me that's where but it all starts there that's where it comes from now that's all about Melchizedek in the Old Testament right there four verses that's it but in the New Testament, there's an entire chapter about Melchizedek. Far more in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. And uh, that's worth looking at. So Hebrews, we're not going to look at the whole chapter. The whole chapter is Hebrews 7. We'll back up because we get introduced to him in the end of 6. And then we'll get just a little bit of Hebrews 7. But there's too much for one sermon. Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, 
A hope that enters the shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Let's stop right there. One of the themes of the book of Hebrews, well, there's several things. One, one theme is that Jesus is greater than everything. Jesus is greater than Abraham. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is greater than the angels. That's one of the themes. Jesus is greater than everything. The, another theme in, in Hebrews is that Jesus is our high priest. But here's the problem. The priests come from the tribe of Levi. Is Jesus from the tribe of Levi? No, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He comes from Judah. So kings come from Judah. Priests come from Levi. But the writer of Hebrews says, well, of course, Jesus is our king, but he's also our priest. Well, how can that be? Kings come from the line of Judah. How, how is he going to be a priest? Because he doesn't come from Levi. And the writer of Hebrews says, I'll tell you how. He's a priest, not according to the order of Levi, but according to the order of Melchizedek. Because remember, you know, well, I'll just, I'll just let the writer of Hebrews tell you. Chapter 7, verse 1. This king Melchizedek of Salem priest of the Most High God, met Abraham as he was returning from defeating the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned one-tenth of everything. His name in the first place means king of righteousness. I didn't tell you that. That's what, that's what uh, Melchizedek means, king of righteousness. Next, he is also king of Salem, as in related to Shalom, he is the king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So there's this story in Genesis 14. Of this just, he appears out of nowhere. We don't have any backstory of Melchizedek. He just comes down. From the city of Salem. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. He brings bread and wine. He blesses Abraham. Abraham tithes to him. And that's the end of the story. So he has no backstory and he has no conclusion. There's not the story of his birth, his genealogy. There's no record of his death. And what does the writer of Hebrews do? He goes, That's because he's eternal. That's because. He's from everlasting to everlasting. That's because, as he said, he uses that word resembling. He resembles the Alpha and Omega. I'm telling you, these earliest Christians, these apostles and these early Christians, they just were, how can I find Jesus in the Old Testament? And this writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that person is. Why well, I keep calling the writer of Hebrews. We don't know who that person is. Uh, one day is reading what we call Genesis 14 and went, aha! That's Jesus. Well, I mean, come on. How could it be anybody else? It's, well, he's, his name is King of Righteousness. That's Jesus. He's the King of Peace. That's Jesus. He's from Jerusalem. He's, he's bringing bread and wine. He's greater than Abraham. Abraham's paying tithes to this guy. That must be Jesus. And he's a priest. And so then the writer of Hebrews says, how can Jesus be both king and priest? Well, he is a priest, not according to the order of Levi, but according to the order of Melchizedek, and then he goes on, I won't do it, but he goes on and says, and, and Melchizedek, that line's greater anyway, 
because Levi in the loins of Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Levi receives the tithes later on, but no, no, no. Even before that, he's paying tithes. I'm telling you, these people that write the New Testament, they're just nuts about Jesus. They're just going to find him everywhere, and they're going to talk him up. And I'm here for it. Amen. So where do we find Jesus in the story of Abraham? Well, it's all throughout the Abraham story. Again, you could literally easily do seven Sundays on just finding Jesus in the Abraham story. Um, so Jesus, yes, he's the promised seed of Abraham, brings Abraham's blessing to the whole world. And Jesus is the uh, foreshadowed, well, he, Jesus is foreshadowed in the, in the person, the mysterious person of Melchizedek who blesses Abraham. Let's look at one more, just one more. There's a whole bunch more, but I just want to look at one more. Um, we find Jesus in the story of Abraham in Abraham's lifelong quest. Abraham never settled. Abraham's always on the move. Ur to Haran, Haran to Dan, Dan to Beersheba, and then just constantly moving, walking throughout the length and breadth of the land of Canaan. Abraham is clearly a man looking for something. He's a man on a quest. Abraham was searching for something. What was it? 2,000 years after Abraham, Jesus, seed of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, is teaching in Jerusalem, where Melchizedek was from, and he gets into a dispute with some of the Judeans about Abraham and some other things, about who is truly a son of Abraham. And Jesus says this, John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Now remember, Jesus is as far removed in time from Abraham as we are from Jesus. So way back. And Jesus says... You know what? Because they were debating about who's the true children of Abraham. And Jesus, you know what? Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then the Judeans said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. You're talking about something 2,000 years ago. You're not even 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to you, that's right. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And then they tried to stone him. But before Abraham was, Jesus is the eternal I am. So Jesus is what Abraham was looking for all his life. What was Abraham looking for? He's looking for Jesus. He doesn't know it's Jesus. Except he catches glimpses. In the future, he sees, he catches prophetic glimpses of where this could go. And, he, and it thrills his soul. And he longs for that day. So Abraham encountered Christ all throughout his life. I'll just touch on a few. In the voice that called him out of Ur of the Chaldees into the land of Canaan. In the foreshadowing of Melchizedek, king of Salem, who gave him bread and wine. In the, we didn't talk about this one. In the trinity of strangers he entertained at his tent under the oaks of Mamre. In the smoking oven and burning torch that passed between the pieces when the 
covenant was cut. In the ram caught in the thicket on Moriah on the day that Isaac was offered up on Mount Moriah. So truly Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. I want to go back to the quest though for a second. That it's clear, you know, Abraham is, he's, he's living in the best city in the world. The most advanced city. Comfortable city. Wealthy. All of that. And he leaves it, the writer of Hebrews says, to live in tents. He leaves his, his nice home with running water, which I don't know, I'm, that's, I'm a big fan of that. And he leaves that to go camping for the rest of his life. I like camping, you know, like a little bit. Not for the rest of my life. But Abraham lives in tents for the rest of his life. Because, you know, you, you think he was a nomad. No, he became that. He wasn't that. He became that. He wasn't a Bedouin, he became one. Because he was searching for something, he's looking for something. He has to keep moving. Maybe it's, and he keeps searching, searching, searching. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. That's faith. For he looked for the city that has foundations whose architect and builder is God. What's Abraham looking for? He's looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. Cain built the first city, built it on his slain brother's blood, lied to himself and God about it, and Ur and all the other cities follow that same architecture. But Abraham is driven to search for something other, something else. He's looking for a city whose architect is not Cain. He's looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. And Jesus says, Abraham saw my day. Way back there, he saw it. And when he saw it, he rejoiced and was glad. Jesus is the one building what Abraham was always looking for. What was Abraham looking for? He might not have been able to articulate it. He is looking for what Jesus called the kingdom of God. He's looking for the kingdom of heaven. He's looking for new Jerusalem. He's looking for the city of the Lamb. He could only see it by faith from afar because it wasn't under construction yet. But once the true seed of Abraham comes, the work begins and the church is the anticipation of that city. Finding Jesus in Genesis and the story of Abraham is easy. And it's a delight and it's a joy. So what do I want to do now? I want to come to the bread and wine that the king of peace offers to the blessed. And that's who you are. Because you're of the families of the earth. Any aliens here? No? Okay. I think he'd bless the aliens too. All the families of the earth are blessed in the seed of Abraham. He was also prefigured in Melchizedek, King of righteousness, king of shalom, priest of the most high God who blesses and offers bread and wine to those that are blessed. And you are the blessed. And Jesus offers you bread and wine, his body and blood, that you might have eternal life. Amen. Stand with me. Let's first of all confess our Christian faith.
Faith in God, faith in the Son, faith in the Holy Spirit. Join me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, let's confess our sins and receive forgiveness from the Lord. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord, of King Melchizedek. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here.